0: those fellowship meals we all have traditions when it comes to fellowship meals and enjoying those meals together this was this one slide that Joseph did not want to miss in today's sermon when we think about getting together for a meal we we have traditions that we enjoy as a church family And the disciples, when they gathered with Jesus to enjoy a meal, there were traditions in that society that were very important. Like making sure everyone had clean feet. In John chapter 13, as Jesus is about to enjoy the Last Supper, or have that Last Supper uh, with His disciples, He knows the significance of that occasion that in just a few hours he's going to lose his life because he's going to offer it as a sacrifice, not just for his disciples that were with him, but for all of us. And he also knew that among those eating the meal that night was the one who would betray him. And as the teacher, as the respected one, they may have called him rabbi in Hebrew, to mark their respect for Jesus as a teacher. Certainly there were some, as we read through the Gospels, that sometimes referred to Jesus as Rabboni, little teacher, or rabbi, respected teacher. And that's how they would have viewed Jesus. And on that particular evening, Jesus did something that they would never have anticipated someone of His regard, the high regard that they had for Him. Something they would have never considered someone in his position, someone with his status doing. And that was Jesus took a towel and wrapped it around himself and asked for their feet. May I wash your feet? And in doing so, Jesus provided for us an example of the type of discipleship, the true essence of Christianity that He wants us to exhibit in our lives as Christians. This morning we look at the example of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples in John chapter 13, and we think about what it is for us to be Christians today as members of a church family, to be servants in a church family. But I also want us to think about being servants at home. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13, and let's notice, first of all, the example that Jesus provides for us in John chapter 13. John chapter 13 and verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knew these men, he knew their thoughts. He knew their attitudes. He knew the way that they behaved, the way that they acted. He knew their little nuances, their little quirks, their little blemishes, as we studied in class this morning. And yet he loved them to the end. Verse 2 says, During supper the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot the son of Simon to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from the supper, laid aside His garments and taking a towel, He girded Himself. Jesus knew as he took that towel and he put it around himself and he knew that Judas was there on that evening, he, he took that towel and he knew that he was coming from God or had come from God and that in just a few hours he would be suffering his death. And it would eventually ascend to heaven. And he knew who it was who was going to betray him. Even then Jesus took that towel and wrapped it around himself. Verse 5, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but he is completely clean. You are all clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So when He had washed their feet and taken His garments and reclined at the table again, He said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call Me Teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and Teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these sayings, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. As we think about this story, it's a powerful story for so many reasons. One of those reasons being what Jesus is doing. Just the idea that that Jesus would wash the feet of His disciples. But the circumstance that's being described here is established by Jesus' mindset. He knew that the end was near. There are some people who say, well maybe Jesus didn't know what He was going to suffer. No, Jesus knew exactly what the end of his life was holding for him. When Jesus came to this earth and he took on humanity, he knew what his purpose was. He knew that he was going to die. And John's gospel, perhaps more than the other three, really bear out the fact that Jesus, throughout his ministry, knew what he was doing. He knew he was going to suffer. And so on this evening, it's very real in Jesus' mind. He knows that that very night, he's going to be arrested He's going to have a sham trial first with the Jewish leadership and then with the Roman governor. And within a few hours he was going to be hanging on that cross. He knew that. And he introduces us here in John chapter 13 beginning at the very beginning in verses 1 and 2, my hour has come. He he knew what was happening. And yet John tells us as a narrator that he loved his own to the end. He loved each of them, even Judas, whom he knew as the one that would betray him. How hard would it have been for you and I to have that meal on that evening with Judas in the room, knowing that he was going to betray you? How hard would it be to say to Judas, Come here, Judas, let me wash your feet just like everyone else's feet. Let me treat you the same, Judas. Let me love you, Judas. Even though he knew that Judas was going to betray him. Jesus had that love even to the end. And he had that compassion even to the end. And so Jesus is here. He recognized Judas, verse 10, as being unclean. And yet he still served him. The role of foot washing in the first century served an important important function. In the first century, as you can imagine, people walked around in sandals, we know from archaeology that those were open foot sandals, pretty much. Uh, and you can imagine walking everywhere you go, and, and dirty your feet would get. I mean, you didn't have asphalt, you didn't have con- concrete, you had, for the most part, dirt roads. Now the Romans built a certain number of roads for military purposes that may, may have been used with, or paved with stone, and, and so... Maybe the dirt wasn't so bad there. But many of the roads between villages and and that sort of thing in Judea and Galilee that Jesus would have walked on would have had plenty of dirt around them. And so you can imagine if that's the footwear that you have, everywhere you go, you're going to get dirt on your feet. Even in a city setting like Jerusalem, where maybe you had stone paved roads... You still had dirt that got on your feet. And so it was customary when you went to somebody's house that you would have either a bowl of water set aside or you would have a servant. Oftentimes, maybe a child, it was considered to be the lowliest form of service in a household duty. And so you would have your lowest ranking slave and that person's job would be when you had guests over to your house that you would wash, that servant would wash that person's feet. If you were so poor that that you didn't have a servant, maybe you would do that yourself or you would at least have some water set out because everyone's feet were dirty constantly. But that wasn't something that a senior ranking person would do. That wasn't something that someone of high standing would. Would do. That was the filthy job. And yet Jesus is taking his, the towel around Himself and He is washing the disciples' feet. Probably Jesus is reclining with His disciples in a, in a room such as the triclinium, uh, which was a common arrangement in both Greek and, and, and Roman settings. And so when you look at the pictures that were discovered in Pompeii, by archaeologists in that uh, lava-sealed city as they've excavated it. They have depictions of their Triclinians. They have depictions of servants washing the feet of of guests. But you can imagine if you're reclining on one elbow at a table, literally laying down on your elbow and, and, and eating and... The person next to you, their head is, is next to your chest, but your feet are, are extended out. You want to make sure that the feet that are closest to you are clean feet, right? Uh, who wants to eat in a setting where people with dirty feet are laying next to each other and there's a likelihood that someone's dirty feet is, are, are very close to you? And so this was an important function. But it wasn't something that someone like Jesus would ever have been expected to wash the feet of those reclining with Him. When you look in chapter 13 and verse 25, we get the idea that this is exactly the arrangement that Jesus and His disciples are eating in. It says, Leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, He said to Him, Lord, who is it? Asking, who is it that's going to betray you? But you see, the emphasis for right now in our discussion is the fact that they were reclining next to each other. And it would have been important, it would have been considered customary for someone to wash someone's, the, the feet of those who were reclining, but not Jesus, not the master teacher. And so it's an act of love and service that Jesus carries out here. And Peter says, Lord, don't wash my, don't wash my feet. This is beneath you, Jesus. And Jesus says, I have to do this. And when Jesus is done, He looks at His disciples and He says, You don't know what I've done for you. But you'll understand it in the future. You'll get it later on. Jesus was demonstrating service. Jesus was demonstrating humility. Jesus was demonstrating love. And it's that humility, that service, that love, that He says to them... As I have done for you, so you do also. If you have seen me do this, verse 17, you are blessed if you do them. Look at Jesus' service, his humility. This is what God wants us to be like in our Christian lives, this is what he expects of his disciples. That was the example that Jesus gave. I don't believe in John chapter 13 that Jesus is saying that it's customary or something we need to do as we gather together in homes or in a worship service that we come in and we wash each other's feet. The example that he was giving was the example of service and humility and love. And he expects us to follow that example. As you have seen me do, you are blessed if you do them. And so think about what it would have been like for Jesus, as I've already mentioned, to do that not just with Peter, not just with John, the disciple whom he loved, not just with the other disciples that were there, but even Judas, taking Judas' feet, knowing that in just a few minutes he's going to run off to the Jewish leadership to say, let's make a deal. Let's see how much money I can get out of this to betray Jesus. That same one. Jesus was still, in His humility and love, willing to serve. And Jesus says, as I have done for you, do so. And so think about being servants in the church. In my life, it's been comforting to see different elders serve. I can think of one elder here in Fort Worth, Joel Knoll, and his wife Marilyn that I've known for several years. He's now an elder at Northwest, but uh, Joe's one that when the flowers needed to be weeded out, he'd go out and he'd weed the flower bed out in front of the church building. Uh, if there was work inside the church building need to be done, he'd go and do it. If there was somebody in the hospital, he'd go see him. He was constantly and is constantly serving. And I can look at it and I can say, that's what a leader is supposed to do. A servant leader, a Christian leader. I can think of elders I know in other places. Another Joe, the church in in Washington, Ferndale, Washington, travels every year and he goes to uh, Thailand and he goes to Laos, places that he had been as as a soldier during the Vietnam War that he now goes back to every year to do mission work. Servant leadership. And that's what God wants us to be. That's what God expects us to be. As we serve in the church, we have servant leaders here. As I think about different ones of you who have served in many ways, some in obvious, visible ways, and some in some less obvious and visible ways, but we know that service is being done. It's great to see someone who's willing to get up and lead singing every Sunday morning. Maybe that's a little bit self-serving since he doesn't have to listen to me Leads the singing, right? There's a, there's a personal function there. But someone who has that ability that's willing to get up and do that and teach Bible class and then when the person that is supposed to help out the Lord's table has to be at the hospital, that person just jumps up and, and works at the Lord's table. Uh, there are others that teach our children's classes, teach our Bible hour class that, that serve. And so we have good servants here. And yet sometimes there is a challenge for us. And that challenge is that sometimes as Christians, as new Christians, as as older Christians, I'll let you decide which category you fall in. But sometimes as Christians, we don't know where to serve. We don't know where those opportunities are. And so it's hard for us sometimes to to recognize, where can I serve? How can I serve? Sometimes we think of ourselves and we think, you know what, I'm not good enough to serve. I don't know enough of the Bible to serve. I can't imagine where I need to begin to serve. But there is a place for all of us in serving in God's kingdom. And sometimes we grow. Sometimes there are those of us that are quiet personalities. And those quiet personalities uh, may have great ideas, but sometimes because they have quiet personalities, they don't know how or they don't feel comfortable stepping out and saying, here are some things that I think we can do to serve God. As we think about the Binbrook Church of Christ, serve, worship, and grow, emphasize service. We emphasize serving God by having serve first. Because we want to be serving. And I want us as a church to think about what are things that we can do that serve. That serve one another. That serve others. And as we continue on from having planted a church in Maine, and as we look towards the future, I encourage us to think about how can we serve? And we've done some things. But I want us to think about how we can serve. And each of us think about how can I step up and and lead an act of service or just simply do an act of service. Sometimes we don't know our own talents. We are comfortable doing certain things in our everyday lives, but sometimes we don't think about, well, what talents do I have that can be uh, useful to God? And there are some places that talk about doing a spiritual assessment and you answer a number of questions and it's almost kind of like a personality test type of thing and and you figure out, oh, I've got the, the spirit of whatever, as some of those programs sometimes use the language of or a gift of whatever. But sometimes it's hard for us to look at ourselves and, and think, how can God use me? What are the talents that God can, can take from me and use as, to accomplish His work? And so one of the things that we need to do is, is to take an inventory of our own abilities and to serve. I appreciate Susan as an accountant uh, being willing to help us In our work as a church, to make sure that we're uh, doing the things we need to be doing uh, from an accounting perspective. That's certainly not something I want to do, you know, is take care of accounting. Uh, It's not a skill that I have, but there are some folks that have that skill. Susan is one of them. And so if you don't like math, leave it to Susan. You know, she can do that, right? (laughs) And so we have those abilities. We need to think about how we can serve and what we can do as a church. Sometimes there's a difficult challenge to serve in undesirable ways. In our class this morning, Jay led us through a series of questions and and thinking about the fact that sometimes we're challenged by looking at different people that are different from ourselves and we think, I could never reach out to that person. I don't feel comfortable reaching out to that person. But there are people that God has made that are His children. And if you have children in your life, you know that you love your children and sometimes they do silly things. Gavin, it is true, sometimes as kids we do silly things. But our mom still loves us, right? And God still loves even those around us that have really messed things up in their lives. And we have an obligation to love them just as Jesus loved Judas. And He was willing to wash His feet. And we need to have a desire. We need to figure how we can reach out to those and serve in such a way that we can impact their lives so that they can come to know and love the Lord. Think about not just serving in the church, but serving in the home. How many marriages are in trouble in our culture today because our idea of marriage is, what can I get out of it? What, what can I do? What are my expectations for myself? And that's how many people look at marriage. But that's not God's plan for marriage. Marriage is loving and serving one another. And so sometimes we need to think about not just ourselves, but how can I serve my spouse? How can I pamper my spouse? So Jay, earlier in the week, Devonna called me and she said, put this point in your... uh, in in your sermon this morning, right? No, Kimberly asked me to put this in here, right? I'm glad Kimberly is in Bible Hour this morning, right? Don't tell her about this part of the sermon, okay? But we pamper. We need to pamper our spouses. We ought to look at our spouses as the person on the pedestal. Instead of thinking, what can I get out of the marriage? What can I put into the marriage? How can I make my marriage stronger? How can I make my family stronger? By serving. In many relationships, both parties would rather beat their heads against the wall to get their own way rather than seeking to serve their spouse. In other relationships, one party constantly demands his or her own way. And either pattern will lead to dissatisfaction in marriage and lead to the deterioration of your marriage. Being a servant in marriage means being willing to put your spouse above yourself. And so try pampering your spouse by making her dinner or washing the dishes or rubbing his feet. Speak your spouse's love language. That great book that came out probably 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago now, I can't even remember. The love languages. That talk about the fact that we all hear love in different ways. Some of us hear love by gifts. Some of us hear love by being served in some way. Some of us love, or hear love by a hug, holding hands. Some of us hear love by notes. Some of you know, notes that are left around the house. Some of us uh, hear love by just having the person tell us, I love you. And the problem is is that sometimes we marry someone whose love language is different than our own. And so find out how your spouse hears, I love you. Is it by doing the laundry? Is it by cutting the grass? Is it by leaving notes in the house? Is it by some other way? And communicate to your spouse in that way. I see husbands and wives looking at each other. I don't know what that's all about. But communicate with your spouse in his or her love language. Rather than looking at your marriage as what can you get out of it, look at it in terms of what you can put into it. Marriage can be a rewarding relationship when we follow Jesus' example of service. Jesus loved His apostles to the end. And as a result of that, He served them and was willing to serve them. What was the greatest lesson In Jesus taking that towel and wrapping it around himself and washing the disciples' feet. I mean, think about the fact, it's his last night. It's his last night of freedom. It's his last night to be alive. What would you do if it was your last night to be alive and you knew it was your last night to be alive? Where would you go? What would you do? Jesus said, I want to wash your feet. And it's that attitude of humility and service that Jesus wants his disciples to have. We can have that attitude as we serve one another, as we seek to find and teach the lost and to love them. It's that attitude that we need to have in our family. If you're here this morning and you need help being a follower of Jesus, you have a desire to be a follower of Jesus, to be united with Jesus in death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, or maybe you're a Christian and you want the prayers of the church, whatever you need, won't you come? As together we stand and sing.